Hello, and welcome back to Ghosting You, stories that scare. In this week's episode, I'll be your host, Horrifying Hannah. But before we get started into our scariest stories, let me refresh you on our Ghost Town members. Raging Riker. Nightmare Nina. Dial M for murder. We're very excited to have you back this week. Last time, we discussed ghosts up at Red Butte Garden, which was very fun. But as you could tell, we're very curious as to the nature of ghosts. Are they naturally benevolent? Have they energetically gotten stuck somewhere? What's the history behind them? Or more significantly, the location surrounding? This time, we moved on to the historic Fort Douglas a place more infamously known for their paranormal activity. To do some digging, we contacted Grimm's Ghost Tours to see how the professionals go about their ghost encounters. Our Ghost Town member Nina interviews Fiona Robinson from Grimm's Ghost Tours. They talk about the technical aspects of ghost hunting, as far as equipment and reliability. What senses are you using? And what machines or systems can help you enhance those clairvoyant powers? what kind of equipment do you usually use for um, like ghost hunting or these tours? Um, so we there's a there's a variety of equipment that we use. Um, we we have um, just the basic equipment though. Um, so usually we have a couple of EMF detectors, um, and EMF stands for electromagnetic frequencies, um, and those pick up, you know, like energy frequencies, energy fields that are around. Um, and there's a couple like they'll, they'll light up, or you know they'll make noise or some sort of indicator that something's around. Um, uh, so we'll have usually a couple of those on hand, and um, then we have dowsing rods, which are personally my favorite, because I'm I'm not a technology person. I um, it's, I'm kind of old school, so dowsing rods are just two copper rods that are um, you know bent at an angle. People have been using them for centuries but not for ghost hunting. <laughs> They've been using them to find water, um, used as water source equipment. Um, but we use them in ghost hunting because um, like running water creates energy and we believe in the paranormal field that ghosts create energy. So that's why we use like the EMF detectors that pick up energy and the dowsing rods that can pick up energy um, because we believe that like ghosts Will produce energy as well you know we have um we have a uh, spirit boxes um the sb7s which um scan through radio frequencies that can k- pick up um energy you know that you see on tv and it scans through um like the am and the fm radio channels and you can hear like the voices speaking and the the weird kind of distorted voices come through. And like me, I'm kind of a, a skeptic when it comes to that. I'm like, I don't, 
I don't know if I really heard that or if I'm just hearing what I want to hear. So I don't use that too often. Um, but some people are really good at it and they really like using it. And then we have like voice recorders um, to capture EVPs, electronic voice phenomena, and um, cameras. So pretty much if, if anyone has a smartphone, you know, you have your basic ghost hunting tool right there with you. You have a voice recorder, you have a camera, um, you have a video for camera that you can take like videos on. You can even download apps <laughs> to do like an EMF detector. So you are you don't have to go out and spend like five hundred dollars on equipment unless I mean your phone costs that much or something, but um but you just have a basic one. But uh we tell people on our our ghost hunts and our tours that your best ghost hunting tool is really yourself, um, your body. Because everyone is born with with a sixth sense, it's just how aware you are of your surroundings and of that sixth sense. And when you go on a ghost hunt, you kind of uh, are expecting to be aware <laughs> of it. And so we tell them, like, listen to what your body's telling you. If you get a little creeped out, it could be something happening. If you get like, if you feel the hairs on your arms start to raise a little bit, it could be something happening. As Fiona was talking about, it's something that you physically feel, something you experience. Very interesting. I would implore all of you at some point if you're near the university to go check out those areas. But let's listen in and see what she herself has experienced at Fort Douglas. Oh, Fort Douglas. Fort Douglas has got to be one of my favorite places in in Utah, actually, <laughs> to go and just, just hang out. Um, so Fort Douglas was established um, in October of 1862 um, by a group of volunteer soldiers. And... Um, they weren't too welcomed here by the citizens of Salt Lake City. <laughs> they weren't uh, very fond of the army being here. Um, but they uh, they decided to settle up where the University of Utah is now. Um, it was a perfect vantage point where they could uh, kind of oversee all of what was happening down in the city. So um, General Connor, he was... Uh, kind of a spirited man <laughs> and uh he uh he was not going to be pushed away <laughs> so he's like you know what I'm going to come and I'm not going to be within your city but I'm going to come right up here on these foothills so I can see everything that's going on <laughs> in your city um and uh then in 1863, January of 1863, um, the soldiers at, it was called Camp Douglas then, um, and then later it was established as a fort. So the soldiers at Camp Douglas marched up um, to the Utah-Idaho border, and um, that is when the Bear River Massacre took place. 
and the Bear River Massacre is actually considered to be one of the worst Native American massacres on the west side of the United States. Mm -hmm. And um, so then uh, they came back. Around 14 soldiers died during that massacre. Um, and the whole encampment came back to Fort Douglas and brought their uh, dead and their wounded back. Um, and then the fort just kind of grew, the camp grew and became more established. Um, and I mean, the whole kind of the whole basis of the the fort there was based on a massacre, which yeah. has some dark troubled history. <laughs> So that's uh when I talk about the paranormal up there, you know, that's always that always grabs people's attention like, oh, a massacre. What? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever felt like like malevolent um presences? Like have they all been like pretty um like I don't know, like friendly or just they won't bother you? <laughs> Well, <laughs> it's uh we had a kind of a complicated relationship at the start. So General Connor's buried there at the Fort Douglas mm -hmm. Cemetery and um he's actually like you can you can go and walk around um officer circle and go over to the museum and you can encounter General Connor. He's still very much in command all over Fort Douglas or <laughs> that whole area. But he's buried at the Fort Douglas Cemetery and he he likes to be in charge. And he wasn't too happy at first with um how pretty much with um with us coming in and and kind of taking control and kind of um well, he didn't like how we were portraying him as kind of a not very nice <laughs> commander in general. There was some times when, um, um, so when I, sometimes when I would go, like I would um, walk people around with kind of like a candlestick and I would put like a candlestick on his headstone because he has this massive rock uh, memorial to for him. I would put a candle up there for him. Um, and so I would go and retrieve it, and um, quite a few times, like, it would just be covered in bugs, um, like spiders, more than one spider. And usually you don't see, like, more than one spider on a little candle, um, yeah. but, like, just covered in spiders and creepy crawly things. And just like, okay, <laughs> all right. I'm so I had to, like, one time I was at the cemetery by myself. Um, before a group, a tour came in, um, and then, and I had to say, all right, General Connor, um, I'm sorry, I'll be nicer. Uh, I understand this is still your cemetery. I'll still let you be in control. Um, <laughs> kind of, you know, say my apologies to him. Um, and then over at the museum, you know, the same thing kind of happened. You know, some people weren't being respectful and um you know things got things got a little tense like they they got a little um 
I guess it was a little anxious and a little lightheaded. And, um, you know, I they were a little bit younger and they were kind of playing around and kind of taking it as a joke on one of our ghost hunts. And I kind of had to, like, step in and say, okay, you guys, you know, this is, this is a, a real thing, right? Um, ghosts are real. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know. And I said, okay, and it's not just regular ghosts, too. You know, these are military ghosts. So let's, uh, let's come apologize to General Connor. <laughs> Let him know that you are, you're sorry and that you're going to respect his uh, command. <laughs> so now we tell people, we're like, if you're up here, you got to be respectful or else you're going to have a bad time. Because he'll let you know if he's not pleased with uh, with how you're acting, your behavior. Just like the whole part with the bugs on the candle, that like creeped me out a little bit. Like, <laughs> I was not happy about that night. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah, that's insane. Um, are there any other experiences you would like to uh, tell the podcast about that um, have like stood out to you? There's, um, I mean, you can get like. I, I've talked a lot about the cemetery and the museum, but, you know, that whole area up there, even the area that's used now for, like, the ROTC up at the University of Utah, um, you know, they still get, maybe maybe they don't talk about it so much, but I've had people come up and say to me, um, you know, there's weird stuff that happens up there. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> there is. Um, some buildings one night um on one of the top floors in one of the buildings um that they stay in the light kept coming on and one of the commanders the commanding um officers he went over he would call up the building and say hey your light's on and they said no it's not we turned it off and he's like i can see it it's on so they would have to go and turn it off and it kept happening and happening where this light would turn on after they would go and turn it off. And one night, after so many nights of this happening, he just got so fed up. So he got in his Jeep with his dog, who was a German Shepherd, and he drove over and he's like, all right, I'm just gonna do it myself. (laughs) They're not gonna listen to me. I'm just gonna go and do it myself. And so he, he went up and he started walking up. He went inside the building and started walking up the stairs to the top floor and his dog ran ahead of him and he got up, his dog up to the top of the stairs, immediately turned around and ran back down, got into the Jeep, and would not get out of the Jeep. And um, this uh, commander was like, okay, <laughs> I got to listen to my dog, right, because my dog's been trained, and that's, that's odd. So he said he turned around and went back down the stairs, and he told, he told the guys in there, he said, if the light is going to stay on, leave it on. I guess it'll turn off by itself when it wants to turn off. We'll just leave it alone. So, I mean, all over that whole area, um, you know, doors randomly locking or unlocking, all of those, all of those buildings have, have an association with the history and with previous occupants who, who are still there amazing i um yeah i don't know like what kind of tours are going on now but like 
it'd be so cool to go on one of those and just experience um, what you have experienced personally. Um, I guess lastly, do you want to like tell me a little bit about more about Grim Ghost Tours? Just like an overview, promote, you know, yourself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I I wish we could um I wish we could do more tours up at up at Fort Douglas. At least like do like a walking tour. That would be kind of fun to go up and do tours to, especially for students who are up there every single day. Like, <laughs> hey, guess what's happening around you all the time. <laughs> But at, at Grim Ghost Tours, we we offer tours year round. We're we're not just an an October company. We have tours going year round. In fact, after October, we have a Christmas ghost tour, and then we have investigations or ghost hunts at least twice a month year round. And um, we. Uh, we have a Salt Lake City Cemetery walking tour that we do, but most of the time our tours are bus tours where we get on and off the bus and um, we stop at several different locations. On one of our one of our tours that we do right now, we stop just outside of the Fort Douglas Cemetery because it's it's actually illegal in Utah to enter a cemetery after dark. But that's why I was saying like Fort Douglas is so the cemetery at Fort Douglas is so active, so haunted that even during the daytime you can go in and you can experience crazy stuff. But at Grim Ghost Tours, like we we don't make anything up for your entertainment. We don't tell you any urban legends. All the stuff we tell you is real. All the histories are real. We we do thorough background research on everything because we don't have to make it up to try and scare you. History has done that enough for us. An interesting concept, that history does a good job scaring us all on its own. After that interview, we knew we needed to go directly to the source. So we interview Bo Burgess, the director of Fort Douglas. Tune in to hear what he has to say and his one-in-a-kind interactions with the paranormal. He's more of a skeptic, which helps us navigate through all of the paranormal encounters at this location. Are they German soldiers? Are they out to possess people? Are they friendly? Are they stuck? Um, so I'm, I'm just really interested in um, ghost stories that... Um, that you've experienced maybe personally or like maybe your employees have experienced personally or anything that just um, has happened around Fort Douglas that you find uh, paranormal spooky-ish kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, so it just kind of generalizes what you're kind of looking at. Um, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff here, and obviously I, we wouldn't have time to go over everything today. But um, yeah. Essentially, I've worked here at the Fort Douglas Military Museum for nearly eight years now. And obviously being the only full-time employee, it's kind of one of those things where you're usually the first one to arrive in the morning and usually the last one to leave at night. And Mm -hmm. so you're around a lot of hours, all hours of the day and night, all days of the week. Mm-hmm. All seasons of the year, all that stuff. So you definitely do uh, experience things, um, both some in the on hours and, and in the off hours. Um, 
I myself have worked as a historian in Utah um, for a long time before I came here, and mm -hmm. I've worked in quite a few different places that, um, whether you believe in ghosts or not, are said to be haunted or are haunted. Right. And so I've worked like at Union Station in Ogden or 25th Street and several different buildings down there, the Ben Lomond Hotel. Um, there was a few places at Weber State University that I worked that were said to be haunted. And each one of those places I kind of experienced similar or different things. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's not always about continual activity or feelings in a place either, um, which I've, I find fascinating. But uh, specifically for Fort Douglas, um, when I first started here, I was like, oh, okay, I'm working at Fort Douglas. It's awesome. This is like a Civil War post. Uh, these buildings are from the 1870s, specifically that I'd be working in. Really cool architecture, lots and lots of history. And then I realized, oh, crap, I'm the guy that's got to turn off the light at night <laughs> by myself. And I hear all these ghost stories and I have seen things myself in the past. So I personally, you know, do believe that these things do exist. Um, mm -hmm. Now, is is every single ghost story true? No, I think some of them are manufactured. Um, I think right. some of them are perception. Um, but what is reality? I think your truth is your reality, and your reality is your truth, right? So that, that, so that being said, mm -hmm. uh, when I came here, I was, you know, admittedly a little spooked. I didn't really want to shut down the museum by myself. And, you know, to enhance that feeling of uh, ominous or whatever you want to say, um, mm -hmm. we have these mannequins inside the museum, if you've never been in before, that, you know, they're really expensive mannequins. They look like a person, like you're in the wax museum. <laughs> and oh. so you're not only going around through this building that's really old and it's a haunted building, but you're having to, you know, mitigate this whole path of, okay, go around this case to shut this light off. Because since they're an old building and they've been revamped and revamped over time, you have to shut a light switch over here on this end of the hall to turn the lights off in the other room, you know. So you're sitting there saying, okay, what is the best way that I can make it out of this building with as much light as possible without having to look behind me in the dark? So it was kind of a, an experience, to to say mm -hmm. the least. Um, and you'd hear people say, oh, well, you know, that's where they saw Clem the ghost. So that's where so-and-so right. had an encounter. That's where so-and-so heard this. And then you're like, okay, don't look in that corner. And you just kind of look straight ahead. And then you get out, and you're like, okay, I feel good. I'm on the front porch, you know. But then mm -hmm. you realize, uh, ghost are said to haunt certain locations or favor yeah. places, but then you're like, well, a ghost can go anywhere. It's not like I shut the door behind me and then a ghost can't just go through a wall. <laughs> That's kind of fascinating to me. Um, it just kind of progressed with me um, here. Like, I'm pretty comfortable at this point, eight years later, for sure, you know, going anywhere mm -hmm. in the buildings by myself any particular time. I kind of figure at this point, well, if I see something, I just have another experience for the record. We actually have in our basement uh, repository for the museum, we have a good amount of headstones uh, from the 1800s from the Fort Douglas mm -hmm. Post Cemetery up around the corner here. 
And uh, those uh, were removed uh, probably late 2013, uh, 2014, early 2014, and stored here um, because they were uh, deteriorating in the cemetery and they were very old, historic, unique ones. And I had to come up with a plan to uh, store these as compact as possible so we could justify them being here, not impeding on our mission, but it's also our mission to help preserve the history. Mm-hmm. And it was probably, oh, I don't know, maybe 3 in the morning because I had a lot of stuff to do at that time. And I was measuring headstones one by one, and I was measuring the uh, area where we were going to construct a new room and seeing what kind of shelving we'd be needing and what kind of essentially stretchers we'd need to put these on. And I was here by myself. Of course, nobody had been around for hours. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's like 3 in the morning. I think I should probably head home. And I'd just been working with these headstones in the base and everything else. And so I went to walk upstairs. And right when I got to the threshold of the door, right above me at the top of the stairs, I feel like I hear this thing, like, drop. It sounded like like a bowling ball or like a pool ball or something like that where it falls and it's so heavy mm-hmm. it just like slams and yeah. it has a slight reverb, like a slight bounce up, but it's such a heavy solid object it doesn't bounce up again like a baseball or a pool ball or something. Right. And at this time, the complete upstairs of the museum is like empty because it's in the, the newer remodeled part where we're going to be moving the exhibits. And I was like, okay, nobody's in here. There's not even anything up there to fall and make that sound. Like, what is that, right? And it's right when I'm coming through the, the basement door, like an acknowledgement, like, hey, come on up. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but it's like when you jump in. Like, so we had Boy Scout camp when we were younger, and I went to it once. And mm-hmm. they have this thing called the polar bear where you'd have to, like, sit down in, like, ice water. Like, this is something that's not right. Like... Not like somebody's going to kill me, but like I don't need to see what I'm about to see. So I went back through the basement, and I stayed down there with the headstones for about 10, 15 minutes. And the whole time I'm I'm like breathing hard, and I'm like, I can't go upstairs, but I don't want to stay down here. I'm just waiting for something to happen. And then we have this little tiny door. It used to be a window out the back exit of the, the basement. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going out the Alice in Wonderland door tonight. <laughs> Peace out. And I left the lights on. I'm like, sorry, taxpayers. The lights are going to be on for about five more hours until I get back here in the morning through the front door. And then um, another kind of interesting one, um, there was a guy that he was like kind of a trade token trinkety collector dealer. And he came up to ask me about some tags that he had found. All we could figure out on them was they were very, very early, like military identification or like the dog tags probably from the early, early, early Utah National Guard, so late 1800s, you know, turn of the century, early 1900s. And so he brought them up to, he had talked with me about them before, and he finally had brought them up, and he brought this big binder of trade tokens for, you know, good for one cigar, good for a car wash, good for this, good for that, from all over Utah history, just massive, probably one of the largest collections. So we were just mm-hmm. flipping through them, looking at them, and he says, yeah, anything in there is for sale if anybody wants them. So it's just me and Sue and him, and the museum's been shut down at this point for a couple hours. And so for probably like 7-something, 8 o'clock at night, and we're in the lobby area. And so you would have to get past this to get down to the other wing of the building. There's only one way, right? 
Right. And um, what happened was we were sitting there, and all of a sudden one of the doors down that wing, which is probably like 15, maybe 20 feet away at most, it's like, bam, bam. Like it opens and shuts, and then opens and shuts again really hard. And I kind of (laughs) like... You know, I was startled. It was like kind of like the jump scare in the horror movie where you're just like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and Sue kind of like jerked a little bit, too, because just it was like startling. It was really loud. And the guy mm-hmm. like jumped, and then he kind of looked, and then he looked down like, and of course, he doesn't know anything that's going on. He's like, he looks like, um, we're in here alone. Like, who's been hiding in the back for like three hours? And then yeah. he looks again over his shoulder like he's really puzzled. And Sue looks at mm-hmm. me like, oh, crap. And I look at Sue like, well, this is awkward. And Sue's like, all right, Clem, we know you're here. You're acknowledged. Just go back to what you're doing. We're fine. And he looks at her like, "Uh, is this lady crazy? And she's like, oh, Clem's like our resident ghost. I was just telling them we know he's here, so he'll leave us alone. (laughs) Um, And we didn't hear the sound again, but that was very strange, very prominent. Door open, slam, open, slam. Um, Yeah. And, you know, who knows? It could have just been like, some draft it could have been books falling off but the, that's like one where it's like no I heard that there's no way to explain it one night there was so we get a lot of children's stories as well and children mm-hmm. ghosts which a lot of people wouldn't think about but you know archaeological digs and documentation you find children's toys and children had a big uh, presence on the post because the upper guys or the officers uh, could be married and could have children living here in the officers quarters mm-hmm. And um, so one night they were paranormal investigating outside and they were taking pictures just around the tanks and stuff. And somebody goes, do you see that? What? Do you see the little kid in the window in the picture? And they're like, what, what? And so they bring it over and they show me and there's just this, it's just a snapshot amateur camera, right? Mm -hmm. Taken of our tanks. But in the background, in one of the lower wing windows of our building, they're like six over six pane windows. And in the lowest pane, I kid you not, like, you could see, like, this little transparent boy's face looking out the window at him. And I'm like, thanks, guys, because I'm the only person that's going to go in that because it's a secured wing of the building. i got to shut those lights off in there tonight by myself. <laughs> I didn't need to see this, but what can I do? I mean, this kid obviously probably lives in the building with me all these days. He's probably sitting on my lap or next to me at the desk, like, yeah. looking at what I'm doing, wondering what this this strange guy in this strange time is doing, you know. Um, so I could see it, and it was like a little transparent kid's face. I mean, it could have been an optical illusion, kind of shadow play or something, I don't know. But you could see he had a little hairline, and you could see where his eyes would be and where his neck would be and his kind of the top of like a little collar from probably the 1800s or turn of the century. And then I told him, I said, hey, can you send that over to me? Because I started to put together an archive of ghost stories of historic accounts of people that grew up here or served here over time that would have their ghost stories. So I have ghost stories from like World War II and ghost stories from the 50s and ghost stories from the 80s and ghost stories from the 90s and ghost stories from students that live here now and all sorts of stuff that I started jotting notes down. And Some of them are just notes like, oh, somebody told me this once in passing in front of the building. And some of them, people actually record their stories and send them in to me. And some of them, they'll, mm-hmm. paranormal investigators will send over evidence of voice recordings or photographs or weird videos they've gotten over right. time. And he's like, sure, I'll, I'll send that over to you when I get home. And then like 15 minutes later, this kid's crying. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, don't tell me that's gone. 
And he's like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. He said he was trying to show people uh, the evidence that he had captured, and then his camera just wigged out and just went crazy, and it glitched up, and it erased all the pictures he'd taken that night. Oh, my God. And so he just didn't have that. He's like, I don't know, maybe they just didn't want me to have that photographic evidence. <laughs> so that was kind of a, a strange thing. But, yeah, so we've... We've had several uh, different things like that. Um, you know, my own personal experiences, experiences of uh, coworkers. Um, my girlfriend just uh, last year, she was here late with me one night. We were the only two in the building, and she was sitting at the front desk. And you could kind of see down the hall towards the back area of the museum, and you could see over to the offices. And she had never really fully been around the whole museum facility, strangely enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But um, she was sitting out at the front desk, and I was back in the office, and I came out, and I could see her, and I see her turn and look at me. She has the most dumbfounded, puzzled look on her face, and she's just staring at me like, I'm like, um, hello, like, wave my hand, like, are you okay? And she's like, uh, um, and I'm like, are you okay? She's like, uh, yeah, and she looks back down the other hall. And I said, well, what's going on? And she's like, how did you get over into that office so fast? Hmm. Like, is there a back door? And I'm like, no, I've been back there actually for probably like 20 minutes, shutting down so we could leave. And she's like, I'm not kidding you. She's like, I just heard somebody come in the back door of the museum. She's like, you hear that push bar? And it goes, yeah. And then I heard footsteps. And they were coming up the hall towards me right when you walked out of that other door. And I was puzzled as to how you were walking up that hall and then obviously you came out of the back office in the opposite direction. And she looked back down the hall like, well, who else is here? And I walked back. Of course, the back door's locked. It's shut. There's nobody in the museum. And she's like, I don't believe in ghosts at all, but I cannot explain that one. And she was really spooked. <laughs> she's like, maybe I do believe in ghosts now. She's like, I've never had anything like that happen. But it just happened. So I was like, well, you know, welcome to the club. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of stories like that. You'll find a lot of stories um, on the Internet. A lot of paranormal investigators used to post things to YouTube or their little blogs or things like that. And, you know, there were some interesting stories, some strange stories, some stories I'm like, oh, that's BS. And other stories I'm like, yeah, I was there when that happened. Um, I used to be in a lot of videos on YouTube. Apparently people would tell me, oh, you're on this paranormal thing, you're on this thing. And I could find them sometimes. I haven't found them for a long time. Um, so maybe they took them down, or maybe they're just buried so far in the trillions of videos on the Internet now that you could never mm -hmm. search it up even if you wanted to because it's just lost to the the chaos yeah. of digital pixelation or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, so there's a lot of things like that. Um, we have a DVD that's, it's out of print now that we used to sell in the gift shop that had some interviews with old timers, probably from the late 90s, turn of the turn of the 2000s, that they interviewed about their ghost experiences here. And um, there's been some writings and chapters in different haunted Utah or haunted Salt Lake City or paranormal stories or haunted forts books, uh, some of them which I've read, some of them I'm probably quoted in. Um, but th those are kind of circulated out there a little bit. Um and then, you know, I guess our, our main ghost that they say our resident ghost is Clem. Uh, they say yeah. he's like a Civil War soldier in blue that you'll see periodically, and he's kind of the resident ghost. And we have had people kind of 
talk with him um, and see him before. Oh, you're good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So Clem is kind of like our primary ghost, and he's the one that people attribute a lot of things to. Um, I don't know if I've had any run-ins particular with Clem myself. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've seen figures that I'm like, oh. And then I turn back and nobody's sitting in the chair type thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, optical illusion, maybe. Um, or, yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw somebody sitting in the chair. I thought it was like one of my assistants or something, and it was at night. I'm like, but nobody's here. Um, but, yeah, so that's kind of our primary ghost. And you'll find a lot of versions of stories of him on the Internet. Yeah, I've seen uh, them. A lot of people <laughs> play with him. Um we have places like in the basement, of course, we have headstones, and people mm-hmm. will sometimes pick up on names on a paranormal investigation. They'll go down and find the same name on one of the headstones in the basement. We have an old untouched room in the basement. We call it the poker room or the card room or the cigar room mm-hmm. or the smoking room. And uh, there were some old-timers that interviewed old-timers that said, oh, yeah, we'd kind of hide out down here and play poker and gamble and smoke cigars and, <laughs> you know, and uh, they've actually, you know, had people smell smoke in that room or see smoke trailing out of the doorway and, of course, nothing's on fire. Or they'll hear arguing in that area and then go down there and like, nobody's there. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of interest around that particular room with paranormal investigating, which is kind of fun. Um, yeah, there's just... There's tons and tons of stories um, that I've collected from people in the Army right now next door that have seen things or people that work for the University of Utah that come up here on grounds and they'll see like like old soldier figures crossing the old parade ground in the fog in the middle yeah. of the night or early morning when they're out doing their rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, people that grew up here all different eras that have ghost stories of the different houses they lived in being haunted. Just a lot of really interesting, fascinating, crazy, spooky, <laughs> romanticized <laughs> things Sorry, across yeah. the board. Um so mm-hmm. like I said, we could we could really talk all day. Um everybody keeps telling me, you need to you need to write a book on this. Um and I I've considered it. I've considered writing a book about paranormal investigating and all the methods because I'm one single person in one single location watching all these people pass through over all these years with their different methods and outtakes and theories and beliefs or skepticisms and I thought it was just kind of a fascinating uh, concept and then I thought you know just because the folklore is a cool thing and whether you believe in ghosts or not it's a real part of the history right Ghost stories are something real, whether you believe in ghosts Mm -hmm. or not. The stories are something people tell, and they tell them over Mm -hmm. time, and it's part of the folklore and history and the culture. So I'm just really fascinated with collecting that stuff for the archive and databasing things and articles that are written and chapters in books and evidence from paranormal investigations and there was one photograph though one one of these people took on a paranormal investigation up at the cemetery Mm -hmm. and she had just taken it she was guiding a paranormal investigation here but they stopped the cemetery first just outside the gate and she shot a picture into the cemetery and she's like this is really weird it's like a spirit photo it looked like almost like somebody played with light like when you do a timed exposure with like a sparkler or something like that or a glow stick 
It was like that, kind of, but it clearly wasn't that. But it wasn't an orb. It was kind of like a a really, really um, illuminated, like, apparition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was this weird shape, and she's like, I've never seen anything like this. I've taken thousands of pictures on paranormal investigations and all these odd locations. This is the weirdest thing. Can you tell me anything about this? But, like, what do you see in this? And I looked yeah. at it, and I was looking at it in our lobby, and we have a, a full-size horse with a, a mannequin on it um, representing mm-hmm. a piece of the history because we have, have had the horses and the cavalry here. And I look, and as I'm looking at her screen, I catch out of the corner of my eye the same shape above the phone. And it's a guy sitting on a freaking horse. And I'm like, what the hell? This is like an apparition <laughs> floating in the air. And if you look, it's the same distance off the ground as what would be a person on a horse. And the legs are right. spread like something's between them. And he's like leaning forward like holding reins of a horse. And she's like, oh, my gosh, you're right. Like, that's what it is. And everybody's gathering around looking at it because we just it literally was just taken before she came over here and we put that together. Right. Craziest stuff. So here's what we know. Fort Douglas was built in October of 1862. It was established to protect the overland mail route, contain the Indians, and ensure that new settlers were following federal law. It was also used as a prisoner of war camp in World War I for German soldiers. It's not surprising in the slightest that there are so many ghost stories surrounding this fort. And considering all of these stories, we thought it would be a good idea to send out our ghost town resident, Riker Jackson, to catch up with local historian Ron Fox about the past and the present of this fort. I'm a formerly a member of the board of the Fort Douglas um, Military Museum. I'm no longer on the board. I was for four years. All right, perfect. So I guess the first thing I wanted to delve a little bit deeper into, mm-hmm. at the time when Fort Douglas was built, what was the relationship between Utah and the United States uh, federal government? It, it was difficult. It, it was um, um, President Buchanan had been elected president, and there had been uh, in the country a, a large uh, group of people who were interested in doing away, as the Republican platform said, though Buchanan was a Democrat, the two twin relics of barbarism, and that was slavery and, and polygamy. And so it was it was sort of an outcry on the part of people in the United States against the Mormons. And a lot of editors and a lot of newspaper men in the East were writing stories about the fact that that uh, Brigham had, had uh, you know, created a, his own nation out in the West and that it would be uh, not friendly to the federal government, which was not the case. But it it sold papers better than the, the other and uh, it just you know he was uh, the saints left illinois and and came west be, because of persecution and so they were looking for a safe haven to run the operations of the church and, the, and their people in safety and they figured they were far enough away you know it's it was prior to the transcontinental railroad the only way you could get there is either by by wagon or have to go back around the horn and go by wagon from California. So it was it was isolated. Interesting. And I know that you, you mentioned before that uh, Fort Douglas was 
built not necessarily to uh, threaten the Mormons by force, but in a, in a different way to make sure they were following uh, federal law. Is that correct? Yes, that that is correct. But they were, you know, Fort Douglas's position was candidly, you know, on top of the hill, looking down at the city, and so they always felt that that was sort of a constant reminder that the federal government was there to enforce the laws. Another thing that you mentioned that I, I was interested about was we were talking about uh, the German POW uh, soldiers during uh, World War One, I, I believe. If you take off the... the uh, they moved them in from different... You know, I mean, the war in Germany was um, 19... 15, if, but not, not till 1917, if you were an American, 15, you know, in Europe. But they, most of them were, you know, sailors because they were captured. They didn't, they didn't move usually soldiers from Europe over here. They, they, these would be sailors that were caught on the high seas and then, then brought. And they were just distributed around the country into smaller camps. Uh, so there wouldn't be that many all in one. Uh, camp and so they spread them throughout the country okay perfect and there were several people that died there there's several german soldiers uh, from world war one that are buried in the fort douglas cemetery if i'm not mistaken i believe i read there are 21 uh, yeah. that uh, died if i'm not mistaken yeah. mm-hmm. um, and i believe uh, every year there's a bit of a memorial uh for yes them, for those there is individuals uh-huh. that's correct what is the relationship between Fort Douglas and the mining uh, industry in, the, in that area? And how are those well, two uh, related? Well, when men, you know, uh, gold and silver in the 1860s and 70s was, you know, something that everybody was going for. Of course, we had it as early as California in 1849. But candidly, uh, men who were soldiers who were Irish or of various d- d- different backgrounds that even had backgrounds in mining, uh, decided that they were going to go uh, up into the hills and they chose first uh, the Ochre Mountains and, and Eureka and the Tinnick area where they did successfully find you know, silver and various ores. And then later, after about 1872, they were up in Park City. But... Um, General Connor, who was the commander of the post, he kind of, once he retired, he kind of managed a lot of the mining operations that these old soldiers of his um, were involved with. How long did those mining operations carry on for? At, uh, well, all, all of the mining, you know, went, uh, I mean, from the, 18, the late 1860s all the way into the 1920s. Uh, but we had several silver uh, crises. Um, but I, I will bet that most of the silver coinage in the United States came out of the Park City area, for the most part, um, in the 1880s and 90s. I mean, they just had huge deposits of silver that would be taken down to Salt Lake City and then put in a smelter, the raw area, into a smelter and melt it down, and then into bars, and then it would be shipped to the Treasury. So one final question I'm curious about, um, just as mm-hmm. it relates to the, the fort and uh, what we know about it, um, and as a historian yourself, what do you think is the historical significance of 
Fort Douglas uh, today? Well, I mean, Fort Douglas was a Western fort. During that period of time, you know, we had forts throughout the West. You had them in Laramie. You had them in, you know, there's several in Kansas. There's uh, Fort Tejon, which was in California. You know, forts were two things. They were to provide protection from menaces like Indians at the time and and or to act as sort of the point of civilization and where uh, laws could be and citizens could be protected. The military afforded protection. We had, you know, sheriffs and marshals, but it was one in two people. We didn't have very many organized police departments. Utah had them later in the 1850s, 60s, but not, you know, not in the or in the late 1850s and 60s. I can't recall exactly when Salt Lake got his police department, but anyway, it's just it was it was sort of a point of American uh, putting their flag in the ground and saying we're here and we're here to protect and we're here to serve the community. And in the case of Fort Douglas, it was also a uh, a flag in the ground to to, to the Latter Day Saints saying we're here and we're going to make sure that you guys don't, you know have an uprising against the government. And so that was the big fear that the feds had. When I consider all the things that we've listened through today, we've heard from a ghost hunter, someone who works with the day-to-day of a paranormal site, and a historian. What we know is that history is deeply intertwined with the paranormal. That what happens back then directly affects how we experience those places today. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. We look forward to having you next time as we explore the Rio Grande and the Salt Lake City Cemetery. And as always, stay spooked.